1956, Helen Wolf recorded the Natchez Burnin, a memorial to the victims of a nightclub tragedy in the 1940s. Did you ever hear about the burning? That happened way down in Natchez, Mississippi town. On April 23rd, 1940, over 700 people crowded into the Rhythm Club in the Black Business District of St. Catherine Street. Just before midnight, a fire in the club injured over 200 people and killed 209. All of the victims were black. What happened that night in Natchez robbed a generation of promising leaders and it changed how we experience concerts. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard, and this is the story of one of the deadliest fires in U.S. history, the Rhythm Club Fire. Natchez, Mississippi was established in 1716. It's one of the oldest towns along the Mississippi River. The city center was built high on bluffs overlooking the Mississippi. High atop a bluff, there's a bronze memorial plaque erected in the memory of those who perished in the Rhythm Club fire. The monument was donated by the Natchez Social and Civic Club of Chicago. The loss of life and injuries sustained in the Rhythm Club fire impacted the lives of folks from Chicago on down to New Orleans because of the power of music and a generation of leaders and leaders in the making who were in the club that night and never made it home, including band leader Walter Barnes. Barnes was born in Mississippi in 1905. He was part of a large family, had 14 siblings. In 1922, his parents relocated the family to Chicago. This was a part of the great migration that occurred between 1917 in 1969. Due to poor economic conditions in Southern states and racial segregation and discrimination, more than six million black Americans left the South, relocated to urban Northeast, Midwest, and Western cities where they could find work, freedom from Jim Crow laws, and better access to education for their children. Walter Barnes finished school in Chicago and then turned to his passion, music. He played clarinet and saxophone and studied at the Chicago Musical College. By 1926, Walter Barnes had joined Jelly Roll Morton's band and eventually fronted his own band. Barnes' band was unique at this time because of their jazz arrangements for brass-based instruments. They were respected by fellow musicians for how they arranged and selected music, and their music influenced many other bands, including Duke Ellington's. Within a few years, Barnes and his band became the first black band to broadcast live on Chicago radio, thanks to a little help from Barnes' self-professed sponsor, Al Capone. Barnes had fronted the house band at Capone's Cotton Club, Capone wanted radio station WHFC to broadcast from his club, and he sent Barnes down to the radio station to arrange everything. But the station manager took one look at Barnes and told him, quote, 
we don't air colored people. The next day, Barnes went back to the radio station, and this time, a friend came along. Al Capone walked in and informed the station manager his policy was changing, and he'd be airing Walter's band live from the club. The manager agreed, and Walter Barnes and his 13-piece Royal Creolians were heard playing live many times on WHFC, along with receiving airplay of their singles recorded in 1928 and 29. Along with his musical talent, Walter Barnes was a columnist for the Chicago Defender, the nation's most influential black weekly newspaper. His column was a guide for traveling black bands in the South. As he toured, he learned firsthand which venues accepted black musicians and artists. Barnes was part of a larger circuit known as the Chitlin Circuits, adding to the collection of venues where black comedians, musicians, all entertainers knew they would have commercial and cultural acceptance to play and tour. The Chitlin Circuit and Barnes' contribution opened up new opportunities for black business, including the popular circuit of clubs, musicians could tour and play along the route from Chicago to New Orleans. Now, Natchez was a small town of only 14,000 in the 1940s, but it was a perfect place to stop and play a filler show along that route, which meant the Rhythm Club and other clubs and juke joints along and around St. Catherine Street would come alive with music on any given night. Daryl White is the director of the Natchez Association for the Preservation of African-American History and Culture. He says the historical importance of St. Catherine Street reaches beyond the musical history. White says there's no other street in the country that can compare to this one street in Natchez. And that's because at the beginning of St. Catherine Street, you have the forks of the road. This was the second largest and busiest slave market in the country. As you move up the street, there's houses of worship and businesses that catered to the black community in the late 18th and well into the 19th century, and homes of prominent free people of color who lived along the streets before the Civil War. Along with the Rhythm Club and other entertainment venues, there was a school for black children. And at the end of the street, Zion AME Church. An early pastor of this church, Reverend Hiram Revels, became the first black person to serve in the U.S. Senate elected in 1870. As Daryl White notes, when it comes to black history in Natchez, within less than a mile on this one street, you go from slavery to the U.S. Senate. Music and St. Catherine Street are rich part of the history in Natchez, including the early years of Bluff City blues artists, artists like Alexander Papa George Lightfoot, he was born in Natchez in 1924, would go on to become one of the most talented harmonica players of the post-World War II era. His early days were spent playing his harmonica up and down St. Catherine Street while he was selling ice cream from a wagon. Bluff City blues artists Elmore Williams and Hezekiah Early have shared stories they've heard of Papa George playing along St. Catherine Street, along with other artists who heavily influenced them. 
They also tell of the day the sound of the music echoing down the streets in this historic part of Natchez shifted from jazz to more blues and to gospel music, music that echoed the grief in the community after the tragedy at the Rhythm Club. By 1940, Walter Barnes' reputation as a musician and a columnist meant he and his band were in high demand. Ed Fraser was the Rhythm Club operator and organizer who booked Barnes. The band was wrapping up a tour, heading towards Chicago, and Natchez was a perfect place to stop for a show. Flyers were hung on trees and telephone poles announcing Walter Barnes and his band were coming to town. And excitement ran wild in Natchez and across the Mississippi River in Vidalia, Louisiana. Tickets sold quickly, and Ed Frazier realized he'd better prepare the club for a packed house. The Rhythm Club was a simple structure. It had originally been an auto repair garage, also had been a church. Then it was converted into the club, a single-story wood frame building covered with corrugated metal sheets. Inside, one-inch shiplap lined the building, and there were 24 windows in the club, and two of those windows were in the gaming room, which had been iron-barred. There were two entrances, both in the front portion of the building, but Ed Fraser made some adjustments to prepare for that large crowd. He ensured no one entered without paying by padlocking one of the entrances, so there would only be one way in and one way out of the long and narrow structure. Fraser also closed up the shutters, covering most of the windows, and either latched them or nailed them shut to make sure no one could sneak in or peek in without paying. Ed Fraser decorated the exterior of the Rhythm Club with lights, and he covered the interior with dried Spanish moss that's synonymous with the oak trees around Natchez. Spanish moss, known for its dramatic look, but it's also known for the little insects that love to thrive inside it. So Ed Fraser made sure all of the moss was sprayed with a petroleum-based insecticide called Flint. The moss was then suspended from wires and attached to overhead rafters. On April 23rd, hundreds of people made their way to the Rhythm Club. Between ticket pre-sales, VIP passes, the club attendants, and the members of the band and orchestra, it's estimated there were 750 people in the dance hall when the music started. The average age of those in the club that night, between 15 and 25 years old. All up and down St. Catherine Street and the surrounding blocks, Folks could hear the shouts and the stomping and the music coming from the Rhythm Club. The night was everything so many young people had hoped it would be. Just a fun and carefree Tuesday night at the dance hall. One of those nights that can make you feel so alive. Just after 10 p.m., Walter Barnes and his band took to the stage at the far end of the dance hall, just opposite that main entrance. The bartenders were busy serving up drinks. The crowd covered the dance floor. But shortly after 11 p.m., all the joy, all the fun of that night turned to absolute horror. 
a fire started near the hamburger grill that was positioned near the front door, the only entrance and the only exit. A spark from the fire ignited the Spanish moss hanging in the dance floor, and the fire spread quickly because that moss, sprayed with that insecticide, generated flammable methane gas. The fire spread over the heads of people inside, with the moss falling on victims, igniting their clothes and their hair as they tried to find a way out. When Ed Fraser and his team created that one-way-in and one-way-out single-door option, they had unknowingly created a dance hall and lobby that became a choke point for the fire. Those in and near the lobby and the ticket counter near that front door were able to escape, got out to call for help. But those who had crowded into the dance hall beyond the lobby weren't aware there was only one way out. When you hear fire in a crowded room, your instinct is to head for the closest exit, the easiest, the fastest way out. In those days, there were no illuminated exit signs, no way to know which way to go. As the fire spread overhead and began to burn the interior of the rhythm club, people started running for whatever they believed could be an exit. They first headed for the main door, which proved to be impossible to pass through because the door swung inward. Once flames blocked that entrance, there was no escaping through the front door, which led more and more desperate and terrified people to run for the second door, only to find it was locked. In desperate attempts to escape, people ran over each other, scrambled to get to windows to try to make it out of the club. Time and time again, as they tried to open a window, they could break through glass, but the shutters on the other side were boarded up, nailed shut, blocked them from escaping. In the chaos, some people realized there was no other door or window to escape through and tried to break through the side walls. This proved impossible because of that shiplap covering and the metal exterior. Firefighters would later explain that as the fire quickly spread through the interior of the Rhythm Club, the corrugated metal construction turned that club into what can only be described as an oven. There was very little ventilation inside the dance hall, and as smoke continued to build inside, it blinded people made it impossible to move due to a lack of vision and the increased confusion. The fire kept forcing people deeper into the hall and back towards the stage where Walter Barnes and his orchestra were playing. Initially, when Barnes heard someone yell something about a fire, he tried to calm the crowd. He turned to his band, told them to keep on playing, and he stood on stage and continued to take to the microphone to encourage people to remain calm, to calmly walk towards the exit. Barnes and his band had no way of knowing. They were trapped in the club, and there was no way out. In 1940, there was no Natchez Fire Department. There were volunteer companies, always with one full-time firefighter on duty. And one of those firefighters lived just blocks from the Rhythm Club. 
He said he didn't need a phone call that night to tell him a tragedy was unfolding because he heard screams coming from St. Catherine Street. The volunteer fire station got their first call about the fire around 11.15 p.m. and were on scene minutes later. Firefighters would later say they were haunted for years by the sounds of the victims screaming for help. From the time firefighters arrived, it took only 15 minutes to extinguish that fire. One of them said they knew the loss of life would be hard to bear because they kept hearing screams, but no one came outside of the club the entire time hoses were extinguishing that fire. Some volunteers and firefighters who had no breathing apparatus, no smoke mask, made their way into the club to try to find survivors. One of them had to crawl back outside to tell others that it was hard to see, but he was almost certain no one left inside could be alive. He said he believed he had stumbled on a pile of bodies, but hoped he was wrong. But he wasn't. Once floodlights were brought in and more first responders arrived on scene to help with the search for any signs of life, the scene became unbearable for many who tried to help that night. Bodies were piled on top of each other under the windows that had been nailed shut, and a large number of those who died were found near the stage, along with Walter Barnes and nine members of his band, For those who made it out of the fire, many were still facing life-threatening injuries. Remember, this was 1940 in the Jim Crow South. There were strict segregation laws which applied to medical facilities and care providers. But that night, ambulances sped towards the closest hospital, and survivors were treated in the traditionally whites-only hospital, some needing treatment for their burns weeks and even months after the Rhythm Club fire. Throughout the night and well into the next day, family members, loved ones, and friends gathered along St. Catherine Street. The scene was chaotic, and there was no way to know at the time who had been trapped inside, who had been taken to hospitals, or possibly made it out without injury. The wait would take longer than anyone imagined because of how hot the fire had burned. Some of the victims were burned beyond recognition. Family members were forced to wait a long time before their loss was confirmed. Those who waited along St. Catherine Street were black and white members of the community because everyone knew someone who was in the club. 209 people died in the Rhythm Club fire. People from all walks of life. Many of those who perished were prominent leaders in the black community, leaders in the 1940s who would surely have been leaders in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Event organizer Ed Frazier made it outside of the club, but he was burned and had a heart attack and died after the fire started. Apparently, he became hysterical when he realized his wife was still inside. She would die in the club that night. So did 23-year-old Woodrich Guthrie. Professor Guthrie was the bandmaster at Brumfield High School, 
known as one of the finest public schools in the South for black children during Jim Crow. Woodrich McGuire was known for his musical talents. He loved to play violin. He was a favorite among students and staff at Brumfield and had encouraged many students to find a way to be at the Walter Barnes show. He saw the show as an educational opportunity because of Walter Barnes' leadership in black entertainment and journalism. Walter Barnes was the kind of person a teacher wants students to look up to, to learn from. A colleague who delivered the eulogy at Professor McGuire's memorial noted that the final rehearsal of the Brumfield High School Band had been held on the day of the fire. That afternoon, McGuire had said he felt like it was the best band rehearsal he had heard from his students in years. And just hours later, he and many of his students were gone. Of the 209 people who died as a result of the Rhythm Club fire, doctors found the most common cause of death was suffocation by smoke inhalation. Many died as the result of being crushed as the crowd was pushed to the back of the building. The loss of life was overwhelming, but Jim Crow laws came into play and made the pain of loss greater for the black community. In the middle of unimaginable grief, there were issues with the handling of bodies, segregation laws, complicated funerals and burials. Under segregation, only black morticians were allowed to handle the body of a black person. At the time, there were only three black-owned and operated funeral homes in Natchez, and they were overwhelmed. Black undertakers from surrounding communities, including Vidalia, Louisiana, volunteered to help Natchez care for and bury their dead. The burials were also complicated by the state of the remains. Within the first few hours of searching inside the Rhythm Club, firefighters and medical teams would only bring out pieces of some victims. There was no way they could be identified. Officials laid out remains on St. Catherine Street, and there was concern over the danger of infection. Officials ruled those victims be buried quickly. The unidentifiable remains were buried in a mass grave in Watkins Street Cemetery. Undertakers, under so much pressure, overwhelmed, caring for many victims who they had known personally, had to recruit grave diggers to prepare the final resting place for these victims. As identification was made, those with insurance policies and burial contracts were buried first. But a majority of the victims in the Rhythm Club fire were young, between 15 to 25 years old. They had plans for life, for a future, not final plans in case of death. Many families didn't have the money to cover burial expenses. The Natchez Chamber of Commerce worked with the local burial association and covered expenses for those unable to pay. As Natchez undertakers worked to care for and bury the dead, there was a stark reminder of how time stood still on St. Catherine Street and the loss of life. Just down the street from the Rhythm Club was a tour bus decorated with the words Walter Barnes and his orchestra. 
Walter's brother, Alan, was the band's tour bus driver. He had been across the street when the fire broke out, and he watched the Rhythm Club burn. Days later, he drove the empty tour bus home to Chicago while his brother's casket was transported home by train. 34-year-old Walter Barnes and band members who died in the club were buried in Chicago when Barnes and his band were memorialized More than 15,000 people attended the funerals. A group of folks who had relocated from Natchez a decade earlier formed the Natchez Social and Civic Club of Chicago. They raised money for the victims and their families and worked to raise money for the memorial that was dedicated on the Natchez Bluffs in September 1940. The cause of the fire was never confirmed, but witness statements and the fire investigation led authorities to believe the fire was accidental. The investigation revealed the venue was overcrowded, but in 1940, there were no occupancy restrictions. There was only one exit, and the doors in the building were not designed to open out. Even if that second door had been unlocked, it may not have helped people escape the night of the fire. A part of the legacy of the men and women who died that night in Natchez is that the city vowed to make changes that would prevent another tragedy of this kind. Fire prevention and protection became a renewed priority in Natchez with the establishment of a fire department. They established building occupancy codes and ensured all doors could open outward. In 1940, the Rhythm Club fire was the second deadliest fire in U.S. history and cities across the nation followed the lead of Natchez, establishing fire building and safety codes to save lives. The Mississippi Blues Commission points to the impact the Rhythm Club fire had on Natchez. Music literally changed on St. Catherine Street for a long time because everyone in the city was in mourning. John Lomax, a Library of Congress folklorist who made field recordings, stopped in Natchez in October 1940. His wife Ruby was with him, and she wrote the following. Any songs besides spirituals are hard to get here, for that terrible dance hall fire of several months ago has sent the population to the mourner's bench. After spending time with artists on St. Catherine Streets, hearing their story, the impact of what had happened in Natchez, they were able to record blues and spirituals from Lucius Curtis, Willie Ford, and Alice Judge Richardson. These days in downtown Natchez, you can head to the area known as the Triangle to see the site where the Rhythm Club stood. At number five St. Catherine Street, there's a one-room memorial museum created by Monroe Sago. He wants the history of the club fire to be told for generations to come. He's collected newspaper articles about the fire and family members of the victims have sent him photos so they can be displayed and help him tell the story of the Rhythm Club. For 81 years, the people of Natchez have held an annual memorial to remember those lost in the Rhythm Club fire and blues and gospel musical memorials were common 
with the most recognized being Helen Wolf's Natchez Burnin'. Hezekiah Early and Elmore Williams recorded their own version of the song, and John Lee Hooker sang of the Rhythm Club in his Natchez Fire. But the earliest recordings to memorialize the victims came just weeks after the fire. Chicago's Leonard Baby Dew Caston recorded the death of Walter Barnes, and George Gilmore sang of the loss of all the victims in the Natchez fire. Light when it's sad and misery, when the horses began to roll. Light it was sad and misery, when the horses began to roll. It was over 200 dead and gone. Light and it can't come here no more. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. It's worth noting, in the middle of this pandemic, we haven't been to concerts in a long time. When you do head back to shows, you walk into clubs and music halls that have safety measures in place because of what happened inside the Rhythm Club. Never forget that. You can see photos and sources for this episode in the show notes at southernmysteries.com. And if you like this independent podcast and want to hear more, you can help support what I'm creating when you join me on Patreon. Members hear bonus Southern Mystery shorts each month. You can learn more and sign up today at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. And remember, you can also support the show by sharing this episode and rating and reviewing the show where you're listening now. Thanks for doing that, and thanks for listening. <laughs>